You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Michael Fraser. Well, thank you. So um, I'm a lecturer in uh, political and social theory at the non-arts uni, as it's called. Um, you can tell because of the suede patches. Um, so I'm used to you know, lecturing on, on Plato and Marx and, and stuff like that, not talking about myself. Um, no one wants a degree in me. Uh, but I'll, I'm, I'm willing to give it a try. And I interpreted the theme of boundaries rather literally. And I thought I would share with you what happened to me actually when I was on my way to interview for the position I currently hold at UEA um, and what happened to me at border control at Heathrow. Um, but to understand what happened to me uh, it, at border control in Heathrow, we have to go back a bit. Uh, like everyone, uh, and it seems like there are more and more of us, it's like two-thirds of my students these days, uh, like everyone who suffers from anxiety and panic attacks, uh, I, I have my distinctive idiosyncratic triggers, right? Triggers are very fashionable now, but I've had them for a long time. Um, <laughs> And now I have to warn. I have no idea what to give a trigger warning about before a lecture. Anything could trigger someone. I mean, that, that's how these triggers work. Um, and, you know, I have some obvious ones. Hunger is, is a, a big trigger for my panic attacks. Uh, but my other big trigger is, and, and only a political theorist would have a, a trigger like this, is bureaucracy. <laughs> I'm completely serious, and I blame the Nazis. Um, Because, you know, when, when I was a, a kid growing up in this highly, highly Jewish neighborhood in, in the North Bronx, um, nearly all the old people were what we call survivors. You didn't have to say survivors of what, we just called them survivors. I can't hear that Destiny's Child song without, it ima without imagining it being sung by old women with Yiddish accents. Um, <laughs> And, and this was absolutely central to, to the, the community. And, and every you know, Holocaust Remembrance Day, Yom HaShoah, they would show children who were far too young at the Hebrew school video footage they should not be showing children that young. And they'd bring out the lampshades and the bars of soap. I mean, it, it was a really disturbing annual uh, event. Um, I, you know, and, and this isn't unique to, to Judaism by any means. I mean, religion is all about traumatizing small children. I was, I was telling this story to a Catholic friend of mine once, and, and she said she was forced to put her head down on the desk and think about her sin and think about that sin actually driving the nail into Jesus's hand. You know, so they show the kids these films. You know, you have The Passion of the Christ. We have Schindler's List. Neither is appropriate for small children. Um, one year, my mother got very upset 
after I came home, totally distraught about this and being, you know, the kind of progressive parent she is, uh, she decided what she really needed to do was empower children. So we had a, a two-part plan to empower me. First of all, we would boycott the Germany Pavilion at Epcot Center for our family holiday that week. Um, and then secondly, uh, she decided what we should do is start interviewing the survivors, as we called them, uh, so that the children could get to know the old people, this sort of intergenerational education thing, and get the stories from them rather than from the newsreel footage. Uh, she really got into that. She built a career out of that. She actually went to work uh, when I was a little older for Steven Spielberg's Shoah Foundation, uh, doing oral history work with the survivors in our neighborhood. Uh, it actually didn't help traumatize the children any less. Uh, but what I took away from it, you know, once I just got past the graphic imagery, was that each one of these people, because they were survivors, had a story about how they had successfully navigated the bureaucratic systems that were being set up to discriminate against, collect in ghettos, and then ultimately kill them. And they were the ones who had figured out how to navigate that bureaucracy successfully. They'd forged papers, or they knew someone who knew someone who could pull some levers, they knew what procedures to follow, and they managed to get out when others didn't. Um, and when, you know, when I was a little older and studying political theory, which I still do, uh, and I promised this wouldn't become a political theory lecture, but here you go. Um, so Hannah Arendt describes this in her book, Eichmann in Jerusalem, as the banality of evil, famous phrase. And what she means is Eichmann, the guy who made the trains go to Auschwitz, was a bureaucrat. He just made the train tables run on time, and that's how it was done. Um, and, you know, this traumatic childhood experience has left me, uh, followed by a political theory education, has left me with a very strange trigger. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in the Jewish community are more reasonably triggered by anti-Semitism. I'm fine with anti-Semitism. Um, <laughs> what I'm triggered by is bureaucracy. And, and you know, like at, at UEA, they give the, the central bureaucracy for teaching and learning this very menacing name, the hub. Um, <laughs> And I'm deathly afraid that the hub is trying to kill me. Uh, and, you know, I, I do know on some intellectual level that the worst thing that can happen if the bureaucracy goes awry is that I'll end up with a seminar room without a whiteboard, you know. And, and, and that can be very traumatic for a lecture. But, but, and I've gotten to know them as individuals, and some of them are very nice individuals, you know, with a keen, keen appreciation of Wagner. I mean, this is, this is how... And, and so I have this massive fear of bureaucracy. I'm trying to get past it at the university. Uh, I mean, don't get me started on the home office. Uh, I had to, for a while, stop reading The Guardian because every day there was an article, you know, American academic kept in chains because he failed to fill out the paperwork properly on his visa renewal. Um, and and my, my tier two visa is currently fine. But at any rate, one of the worst things that happens is passport checks at airport security, right? When you're crossing the, the boundary, uh, you know, because you go up to this uniformed official, and I mean, it's somewhat stronger when, when I'm actually traveling. I just went to Munich to give a talk on Max Weber, and they actually did, you know, show me your papers. 
that's what you do at border control, you know. And I heard all these stories from all those survivors uh, about, about how, you know, that was that moment when they, you know, they got through and their parents didn't or something like that. Uh, so it's a, it's a very frightening moment for me whenever I, I, I cross a boundary. Um, so I, uh, this was about five years ago when I was coming to, to interview for my job at UEA. And I knew I'd already heard, because I'd heard these stories in The Guardian about how if, if you're so much as receiving an honorarium for your lecture, uh, for some reason, it's a particular genre of, of the home office doing horrible things to academics. Uh, if you're being paid for your lecture, they will drag you away if you don't have the, the proper work visa rather than the, the tourist visa. Uh, so I was told you should always say at any, any border when you're going to give a talk on the other side that you're just giving a talk without pay, just giving a talk at the university, certainly not coming as an immigrant to take away the jobs of the British people. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I would never say that. So I knew, I knew to say, you know, what's your purpose for coming to, to Britain? Business or pleasure? Business, what are you doing? I'm giving a talk at UEA, at the University of East Anglia. I'll just say that, I'm giving a talk. And so, you know, the, the border guard seemed fine with that. Um, and, but then immediately he asked me not, you know, are you being paid for your talk? Or is this really a job interview? Are you trying to take away our jobs? Um, the, the question he asked me was, do you have proof of all your vaccines? And I was terrified, because that's exactly the kind of missing document that can get you sent straight to Auschwitz, right? <laughs> um, and I hadn't realized that it was British policy. You know, I knew you're, you're very proud of how your island has no rabies. Uh, I mean, I knew if I was going to bring my cat, I would have to have proof of all his vaccines. But I didn't think I had to have proof of all my vaccines. Uh, and I was, I, was, I was terrified, and I just said, what? And he said, you need proof of all your vaccines to go to East Anglia. It, <laughs> it's a dodgy place, mate. Dodgy place. Wow, I was relieved. So I guess the lesson I take away from this, it, you know, crossing those cultural boundaries, I, I, I love it here, it's a dodgy place, and I've loved that <laughs> for the past four years. But, but if, there, if there's a, an equivalent to, to, to face blindness, it would be British dry humor blindness. Um, <laughs> you know, both, both New York Jews and Brits are famed worldwide for their wit. Um, and, you know, I grew up on Monty Python as well as Woody. Uh, no, I shouldn't admit that anymore. Never, nor Bill Cosby, never, never. Um, so, you know, I, I assumed there would be a lot of humor here, but I had no idea how dry it would be. We aren't, we aren't a dry people. Um, and, and I still can't tell half the time when someone British is making fun of me. Um, and I only hope that when I apply for indefinite leave to remain and have to fill out that 85-page form and take the, the test of, 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 of preparedness for life in, in what, what's it called, the test of, of knowledge of life in the UK or something? Uh, I don't have to take the English test. I've looked at, you know, this is still a couple of years away and I've researched exactly what the requirements are in painstaking detail. Um, 
my Americanness is enough to prove I speak English, which I think is very charitable of you. Um, <laughs> but I am, I am terrified that there will be, you know, the, the dry humor practical test <laughs> for life in the UK, because I, I don't think I, I, I could pass it even, even to this day. So, so please, if you see me and want to make fun of me, use a lot of gesticulation. <laughs> Make it very broad, uh, and then, then maybe I can tell what, what's going on. Thanks so much. Michael Fraser. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.